chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm delighted to have Kendall Lehman on the show today. Kendall is the author of The Gooder Life and the Managing Director of Global IT and Crop Facilities at Cobb Vantress. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. Well, Kendall, welcome to the Something Extra podcast. I have been looking so forward to this conversation with you, and I told you I've got so many pages of notes I don't know that we can make it happen in 30 minutes, but we're sure going to try. So thank you so much for making the time today to be on the show. Well, thank you for letting me be on it. I've been looking forward to it also. Yeah, well, we're going to have a lot of fun. And, you know, I always like to kind of talk about origins and the genesis of relationships. And so our mutual friend, James Barnett, is the one that connected us. And I think, you know, James was on the podcast and then I guess you had reached out to him and then he connected us. And so I'm really grateful for those connectors in our life, right, that connect us to other amazing people. Absolutely. James is a good guy. Yeah. And you guys have known each other for a while because you're both in Northwest Arkansas, but we're going to talk a little bit about how you grew up. I know that you're married. You have your amazing wife, Kathy. I think you guys have been married for what, 40 something years, right? Well, let's think here. It'll be 37, (laughs) 37 this year. 37. Okay. It'll be 38 for my husband, Greg and I in December. So we're right there with you guys. You guys have a couple of children, Rebecca and David, and I think you have some grands too. And we may talk about those and those are the most amazing people, right? (laughs) They absolutely are. So tell me a little bit about how you grew up. I know you grew up in Arkansas. You don't, you're living in a different place than where you grew up, but tell me a little bit about growing up. How did you grow up? Tell me, did you have siblings? What were you interested in? Let's talk about that a little bit. So I grew up in a very small town in Northwest Arkansas. I think I remember the the population sign showing like 2000 when I was growing up, small town. I grew up in a family of of my mother and my father and my sister a very traditional middle-class family, maybe even lower middle-class, but it was great. Everything was good and um, went off after high school, really didn't have a purpose in my life. What I knew I loved to do was take an old radio and tear it apart and get into electronics. 
I had no idea how that was going to work. So I went to the University of Arkansas in electrical engineering, and I spent about a month in there and realized this is not what I want. So I did whatever parent wants their child to do. I quit. And uh, <laughs> I moved to Dallas, Texas and started going to an actual electronics school. And, and I went to school during the, the days, some, most of the time at night and worked during the day, worked myself through. Really enjoyed what I was doing, but wasn't making any progress. I didn't feel like. And in the meantime, moved back from Dallas to Tulsa, Oklahoma, bouncing around to small schools and ended up getting married to Kathy. We'd known each other in high school and decided, you know what? I've got a lot of friends going in the Air Force. I'll go also and finish this electronics training and get a great job. Well, on the day of the physical, the Air Force found out what I had known all my life is that I was colorblind. And uh, they said, you can't go in and electronics. So that was 1987. Computers were not all over the place like they are now. They weren't in every home. And uh, the Air Force recruiter, he didn't have a computer in front of him. He had a three ring binder of all the jobs in the Air Force. So he, he began to look through it and he came and said, computer operator, computer programmer, to which I said, what is that? And uh, he said, I'm not sure. And uh, but you have to take a test. So I took a I had to take a three hour logic test and I loved the test and I did well on it. And he came back and he said, you passed it. Two percent of the people passed it. You passed it. Which one do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. He said, I think the the operator uses their hands more. And I said, I'll do that one then. And that's how I got into the computer industry and went into the Air Force as an operator. And at night, again, went to school as a programmer. And when I began to take my first programming classes, I found my passion. And uh, it was that thing that would wake me up in the middle of the night with a solution in my head and I would have to get in front of a computer. That was back in the days where there were IBMs or cloned computers. My first computer didn't even have a hard drive in it. It was floppies. So that's where I started my programming, but I loved it. And, and that was that's when I hit the sweet spot. And um, we were in Tucson and stayed out there for my first programming job. And we're there for about 10 years. And both of my kids that you mentioned were were born there. And then we were ready to move home and be around the family back to the small town that I grew up in. And it had grown. Northwest Arkansas is very fast growing. And that started the progress of my corporate career from there. Your corporate career. Wow. Well, I just I love that. And something we haven't talked about, Kendall, is my dad was a Marine. My father-in-law was a sergeant in the Army. So, you know, I tell you, I have so much respect for our military. And I see that a lot where young people don't really understand. And so really hearing your story makes me understand you a little bit better because I know that one of your passions is helping young people find their purpose. And, you know, that is one of your passions. And so, you know, I just I think the military is such a great place for a young person to start discovering who they are, to learn some leadership lessons, don't you? I mean, you spent, what, four years? Yes, I did. And, and you know, I've actually had people come to me over the years and say, hey, my son doesn't really know what to do, or my daughter doesn't know. Would you would you mind having lunch with them and, and talking to them about the Air Force? And, and the thing I, I tell the parents or anyone I'm talking to is I went into the Air Force even though I was married, I look back now, I wasn't very disciplined. I didn't have that purpose. 
And the Air Force, first of all, it in, it instills within you that discipline that is needed to be a military person. You know, it makes you think about your dress all the way down to is your belt buckle lined up. It makes you think about making your bed each morning. Things that, while we look at them as military, are actually items that begin to instill that discipline and help you find that purpose in each day. And then, then it does. I mean, it, it's, it automatically gives you the ability to start learning leadership, and they expect that. And, you know, you go to classes. And I remember one class I went to when I was in the Air Force. It was my first leadership class. And it was something that I'll remember to this day. The thing that I remember from that class is probably three days, but this is the one thing I remember. The, the instructor told us, when you see an employee that may be acting a bit odd or maybe are not performing in the way you would expect them to perform, just always remember they have a life outside of that work. And there may be something in that life that's affecting what they're doing at work. And I'll always remember that. And I've remembered it and, and used it, just always understanding that when you see somebody that is not at their norm, there may be something else going on in their life. And for me to to then not necessarily be the boss or the leader, but to be the, the friend and the comforter and the listener, that's so important, I think. Yeah, so those are probably some of the tenets that have helped you be successful, you know, in your own career, I would imagine, is those listening skills. But as you were speaking, it just reminds me. So my dad recently passed away just about three weeks ago. My dad was a Marine. And in his eulogy, I mean, I'm talking about, I, I will tell you, there's so many tenets of him that were specific and unique to him, you know, but he was probably one of the most disciplined people I know. He was 92 years old and he still got up and went to gym every morning at 6.30 a.m. He went every day, but wow, Sunday. That's impressive. <laughs> but it was wow. the discipline and the consistency. And I saw how disciplined he was with his finances. I mean, that discipline carried forward to really every area of his life, the way he kept his yard. I mean, everything. So I don't think that that is something we talk about a lot. I mean, people want success. They want, but things don't just happen. You have to be disciplined. You had to be doing the the right things consistently in your life. And then, you know, so I there's just so much there. So tell me this, because I know sometimes this is a big challenge. How was that transition from the military back into civilian life, into corporate life? Because I know sometimes that's hard for people that have been in the military to make that transition. How was that for you? You know, it was difficult. And, and I'll tell you one of the things that was difficult that people don't even think about. They may think about the way you act and things like that. But, you know, when you're in the military, everything is taken care of. If you're sick, you go on base to a, to a doctor. If you need a prescription, you just step out of that doctor's office and the, the pharmacy's right there outside his door and they just hand it to you. Everything is taken care of. And all of a sudden you step out into a world where they tell you, Hey, here's how much you're going to make. And you think, wow, that looks great. And taken out of that will be all of your health care and all of this and all of this. And you think, oh, my goodness, I, I, I haven't had to do this for four years. And so it was a bit of a shock. Um, <laughs> right. But I'm thankful that a lot of the discipline items like you spoke about your father have remained with me also. And I'm sure I've, I've slipped in some things, but 
but I'm the same way. You know, I want my yard nice and trimmed. And, and that goes to one of the things later on we can talk about from my book. And those little discipline items are still in my life. And I'm, I will always be grateful to the Air Force for giving that to me. That's so good. I love that. That's gooder. That is gooder. <laughs> we'll talk about that. So let's talk about your career. So you did start as a senior web developer in application development at Tyson, but you have just continued to move up through the organization. And, you know, I know that our listeners, if they, unless they don't eat chicken, <laughs> I know they know Tyson, <laughs> but now you are the managing director for global IT and crop facilities, improvement organizational leadership for Cobb Vantress. Tell us about Cobb Vantress and tell us about, because I know there's a very strong culture at Cobb Vantress. Tell us a little bit about that journey, and um, they may not know Cobb Vandras. Yeah, I I moved from Tyson to Cobb in 2007, which Cobb is owned by Tyson. And Cobb is a company that is, it's called a broiler breeder company. And what, what that means is that we sell the chickens to all of the companies around the world who grow chickens to, to sell for protein consumption. You know, it's kind of like the, I like to say when, when my mom was making bread and she had to have a starter stock to start that bread, we're the starter. We're the ones who give you the baby chickens to start the process. And there's only two people in the world that do that. That's Cobb and it's another company called Aviagen. They're our competitor and, and it's only us two. Cobb is a small company and yet it's worldwide. The great thing about Cobb that I tell any new hire is that we are the beginnings of the chicken supply chain to the world, us and one other company. And so when you go around the world and you consume chicken, maybe you go to a store and you buy chicken, that the odds are that one out of every two of those chickens you see on that shelf started with our company. And so while we're only 3,500 to 4,000 strong around the world, we have the ability to affect the entire world's supply chain of chicken. And so when I talk to the people in IT, I tell them that is an honor to be able to work in an environment that has that much power. What it means to us is that if we mess up, we can negatively affect that supply chain around the world. But if we are good at what we do, we can positively affect that supply chain by making our own employees more efficient in what they do. Maybe we help them be safer because as an IT organization, you know, we're, we have the opportunity to give new processes and new tools to do their job. And if we do that right, we have a lot of power and, you know, we don't want to take that power to our heads, but I think be thankful that we are in a company in a small town in small Northwest Arkansas that is able to affect the world like we are. I love that. I love that. Well, you know, our tagline is harnessing the power of technology to improve the world. And truly, your people in IT, connecting them to that greater purpose of feeding the world and being part of that, the beginnings of that supply chain. And and every day, what they do in technology matters, whether it's algorithms that they're writing to to increase the production or the throughput, whatever that case may be. You've spent your whole career in technology. So I did want to ask you, how have you seen 
technology change? How have you seen technology influence both through Ty to Heisen and Cobb in your career, Kendall? So Lisa, you'll know this. When I started in technology, especially at the Tyson, and then I'll just use Cobb as an example, if the IT department could keep the emails coming through and the telephones working, we were good. And that's what they looked at us for. What I've noticed over the years, and and it's happened around the world in all of technology, technology has become part of the business. We don't work for the business anymore. We are immersed in the business now. And I had a conversation the other day and I told someone, I said, we are a poultry company. We're a genetics company, but that poultry and genetics cannot run if IT is not in the position it's in. So I liken it to we are the rails that the train runs on. And if those rails are not in good shape, the train cannot run. And so we have evolved to become that that most important part. And so I said, Yes, we're a poultry company, but honestly now, and this is for the same the same for many companies, we are a technology company that produces poultry. Whereas it used to be we're a poultry company and technology supports us. It's just it's flipped. And I think that's the way it is for most companies in today's world. It is. I mean, we see it. MasterCard International is a client of ours. They say we're not credit card processing, we're a technology company. Technology drives everything. Technology is driving everything at Bear, another client of ours. Yeah, I mean, technology is taking a front seat. This is why, Kendall, it's important. I love that you speak to students, and we're going to talk about that in our second half because I know you were a keynote speaker recently. But this is why it's really important for us to tell our young people technology is a key component. It is no longer just sitting in a cubicle and taking orders. I mean, truly, technology can drive the business. So I want to talk about that, but we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kendall Lehman. Hey there. In a challenging business climate like this, savvy leaders look to technology to find an edge. This can mean the difference between staying ahead of the curve or playing catch up. It's time to collaborate with the highly skilled experts at Technology Partners. Our team of technologists draws upon decades of experience for your project with each bringing a passion for solving problems and a track record of success. How can we help you overcome your biggest technology challenges? Visit technologypartners.net to book a free consultation with one of our leaders. Welcome back, everyone, to the Something Extra podcast with Kendall Lehman. So, Kendall, I know we'd already alluded to the fact that I know you love students and you love young people. You have young people of your own and your immediate family. But yeah, I know that you recently were the keynote speaker for the U.S. Poultry Foundation College Career Program in Atlanta. There were at least 500 plus university students there. Several different companies joined. And you talked to the students about being purposeful with their words. I, I want you to kind of unpack that a little bit. And then we'll talk about, there were five key pieces of advice that I would love for you to tell our listeners that you gave those young people. Yes, it was in Atlanta. And because it was a poultry show, many of the universities have poultry science departments, bring all of their kids there. Companies that are at the show will then interview for summer internships at the show. And that's why the kids want to come there. But um, they also let them do some other things. And so on the first night, there was the keynote speech and and I was able to do that. And 
you know, it's, it's, I love being around them. They give me life. They give me energy. They're sponges. You know, they want to soak up anything you can tell them. And I did. I, I talked to them about having a purpose in life. One of the things that me and a, and a man who used is, is a mentor of mine, who was my boss, who was who hired me at Cobb, we, we would have a conversation every morning before he retired, usually on the phone. And we would talk about just being where your feet were. You know, a lot of times we get caught up in worrying about what happened yesterday. We worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, even though tomorrow may never come. And so I told them, just look down at your feet, know where you're at, whether that's in a class, whether that's where we're at tonight, and and be here with us. Have your mind, body, spirit, everything here with us right now and be present. And then I talked to him about being thankful. That's something that I do each day. I get up in the morning, I have a little journal, and I write down three or four things that I'm thankful for that day. And um I heard a saying the other day that made a point that if your thankfulness exceeds what your day's expectations are, then you're going to have a good day. Ooh, that's good. And so, I like uh, so I try to try to think about that. And, and sometimes it's hard. You know, there's a lot of things going on in life that are hard. And I just always am reminded, and I told the kids about this, about a man named Victor Frankel, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Victor had been in the concentration camps during World War II. And in all of the circumstances that surrounded him that were just evil and vile and, and disgusting and things that we probably couldn't even imagine today, he was a man who stood up and said that one of man's life's greatest uh, abilities is the, the ability to choose their attitude or their outlook on life, no matter what the circumstances are around them. And so, that is extremely hard. I don't say that thinking that, so just make a good choice and, and be happy today. It's not like that. You know, life throws a lot of curveballs at us, a lot of hurdles. And yet, even then, we have a choice to succumb to that or to live above that. And, and so I told them about that. And then finally, I told them that finish the job. And the way I related that was I was in a Walmart parking lot one day and I walked out and there was a shopping cart up against the door of my brand new pickup truck. And uh, of course, there was a dent. And I began to notice over the course of the next few weeks when you walk into a, when you drive into a parking lot, all of the abandoned shopping carts. And I thought, you know, people go in and that shopping cart belongs to that company. So number one, be respectful for the fact that they're allowing you to use their property to help you do something that you need to do in that store. And that's to gather goods and carry them up to the front to pay for them. And then they even allow you to take their property out of that store and help you carry your stuff to your car. And how many times have we seen people unload their cart and then just set it to the side and get in their car and go? And now the next person coming in can't pull in the spot. Somebody has to come out and pick up pick up the cart. Why don't we just give that little bit of extra effort and finish the job by taking the cart to the corral and putting it in? By us not finishing our job, somebody else has to pick up what we didn't do. And it puts a burden on them. And so if all of us would have the mindset of just putting our carts in the corral, wouldn't it be such a nicer place to live? And so that's how I ended the talk. So the last thing I want you to remember is put your shopping cart up. 
And you, you'd be amazed at how many kids I've seen throughout the months after that that said, hello, Mr. Lehman, I always remember I'm putting my shopping cart up. And, and you know, that's, that's a figure of speech. It's a picture in your mind, but it's on everything, whether I'm at work, doing something at work, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just ready to get home, but my desk is a mess and I need to run, do something. I'll put my shopping cart up and I'll take care of that. That's a great book title there, Kendall. <laughs> That's a great book title. You know, it just reminds me, I had, um, he calls himself the ethics ninja, but he was a rabbi, Jonas and Goldson, on the podcast probably two years ago, three years ago, maybe uh, by now. I will never forget him talking about this though. And he said, you know, if we can have the mindset that if I do this now, and then everybody makes the choice that I'm going to make. What would the world be like? Yes. Amazing. So the analogy that he gave, Kendall, he said, think about your break room at your office. You go in, you have a bowl of soup and you say, you know what? I'm not going to take the time to put my bowl in the dishwasher. I'm just going to leave it here. Think about if everyone had your mindset, what would your break room look like? <laughs> what would it smell like? You know, there's going to be bugs everywhere, right? I have never forgotten that, but it just reminds me of that. We finish the job because when you take shortcuts, someone else is going to pay the price. And you paid the price because you got a dent in your brand new truck. Right. Exactly. That's so good. It will work in everything that we do every day. Mowing your yard. I'm I'm tired. I'm going to go in. No, go ahead and run the weed eater and trim. Let's finish the job. That's so good. I'm going to remember that. Put your shopping cart up, Kendall. So thank you so much for that. So I want to move in these last few minutes before we talk about something extra. I'm excited to talk about your book because you just had the book published. And I can just, I know our listeners just in this little time, they're going to see all the wisdom that has been built up in Kendall Lehman. But your book is called The Gooder Life. The Gooder Life, which I love. And your little subtitle is in layman's terms, which I love as well. Your your last name is a play on words there. But here is the subtitle. Learn how to navigate life with purpose to be successful and set yourself apart from the crowd. And I tell you, with a subtitle like that, people are going to be flocking to buy your book, Kendall. I love always reading the dedication page of books. And you talk about your Uncle Neil. Yes. Can you tell our listeners about your Uncle Neil? And I think Uncle Neil probably had something to do with the title of your book. He did. My Uncle Neil is a a man who has has worked at the highest levels of corporate, but he's a farmer. And he always kind of hides behind that farmer mentality, but back behind there is wisdom. And I walked into a family gathering, which we always did at his house. And my mom's side of the family, which is who he's on, is is very large. And I walked in one time back when I was young and he said, you know, how you doing today? And I said, I'm all right. And he said, "Nope, let's stop right there. There's only two kinds of days, Kendall, good or gooder. You make the choice. So I always told that little story and people people kind of laughed at it and stuff. But I'll tell you, I had trouble with that story. And here's the reason I had trouble. Earlier on in the podcast, you asked me the kind of family I grew up in. And I told you I grew up with my mom and my dad and my sister, and we were in a small town. Well, right before I went in the Air Force, my sister was pregnant, about to have the baby of her and her husband, their first baby. And uh, 
she ended up passing away after childbirth. And there's a chapter in the book called the life changing moments. And it's those moments in life when something happens to you that you never saw coming and you have to decide how I'm going to navigate this. And now I use the story of a young running back in the NFL named Warwick Dunn, whose mother was shot working as a police officer in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And there's a course of events, but later on in life, he wants to go to the prison to visit the man who shot his mother. And after that visit is done, a reporter asks him, how can you even do that? And he said, you know, my mom told us that in life, things would come to us that would make us wake up the next day and see the world completely differently. And she always taught us that you'll have a choice. You can be bitter or better. And I want my kids to choose better. And so I talk about the story of my sister and I talk about how that was the life changing event for me that made me think about life differently, that there's more in life than just working and making money. There's why do we do what we do? Why do we do it how we do it? And and I will always credit my uncle giving me the good or gooder speech. But what I learned was is that it's not a daily choice because I can promise you the day after uh, something happens to you that changes your life, you probably are going to have a real hard time choosing good or gooder. It's going to be hard. What good or gooder that told me, though, and what the gooder life tells us is that it's simply a filter. It's a direction. It's something we can look at each day and say, am I being better today than I was yesterday? And being better today may simply mean I have the strength to get out of bed and put my clothes on. And if that's all you can be, then that's fantastic. I heard a guy talk one time about the NCAA tournament, survive and advance. Teams just want to survive one game and advance to the next game. But he says in life, a lot of times when those challenges hit us like a ton of bricks, sometimes all we can do in life is just survive and advance. And that's what my book talks about. Just try to advance. And so my my symbol on the book or my symbol for the gooder life is a compass with 360 degrees of direction. And the gooder life doesn't dictate what direction you need to move. It just simply says try to move each day a little further than you were yesterday. And if you can, then that'll be a success for you today. There's no prescribed amount. It's just do something. Don't stand still and become stagnant. And so that's that's kind of the way the book was set up from Uncle Neil through publishing a book. Oh, oh my goodness. This is so powerful, Kendall. I had, I, you know, I had not got that far in the book. I've got the book on my Kindle, but I did not know about your sister. But wow, that's just, it's so powerful. I love it. Well, you, you talk about, and it, I'm going to talk about one more thing and then we'll talk about something extra, but you know, cause you mentioned that it's like, it's not about competing, being better than the next person. It's being a better version of you. There's only one you be the best you, you can be. And I know that that is what your passion is to help people see that. But in chapter two, um, and you've kind of already answered this, but you talk about success. And people talk about being successful, wanting to be successful, you know, and you say, what do you think about when you think about success? I'm going to turn the table on you. I mean, what would you say to that question? And I think I know what you're going to say, and we've already kind of talked about it, but what would you say to that question? So, you know, Lisa, a lot of people would look at you and would say, wow, Lisa owns her own company and all of this. That's success. 
And while I would agree with that, probably what I say is that that is not the single definition of success. I believe success is when somebody sets their mind to do something and then goes out and accomplishes that. That can be anything from a mom who wants to be at home to raise her kids. That can be anything from the person working down here at Quick Trip. They want a job. They went for that job. They got the job. They're working behind the counter and they're doing it. Good for you. You're a success. It can be anything that you set your mind to and you go do. And that is so contrary to the world that we live in because people are driving for that next level. They're driving for the big house. They're driving for the big car. They're doing this. And while none of those are bad, I don't have a problem with any of those. Those single items will not make you feel better and they will not make you successful. It's when you in your heart have strove for something that you had a purpose for and you made it. That's when you hit success. I love it. Well, let me read this because you said that there is a quote above your wife's desk. And I'm going to read this because I think it's so beautiful. And I love it's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Here's what it says to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. Absolutely. You know, I heard Amy Grant say one time, and and I don't think it was hers, but she said she said a, a, a blessing each morning, and it was basically Lord, let me meet the people I need to meet today. Let me hear from the people I need to hear today. But most importantly, let me make a difference in this world. Whatever that is, let me make a difference today. And that might be in someone's life. And that's where my passion is. It could be other places too. Well, I mean, I'm telling you, if you just pray that prayer every morning, if you had that mindset every morning, then Kendall, you automatically have purpose in your day. Absolutely. Right. So let me ask you, Kendall, what do you believe is the something extra that every leader needs? You know, I thought about that because I knew you were going to ask me. And uh, (laughs) I have seen a lot of good leaders in life. I've seen a lot of bad leaders. I've worked for a lot of good ones and bad ones. And I'm very thankful for all of them because the bad ones have shown me things that I need to see. The good ones have shown me things. But the something extra that I feel so strongly about as a leader myself is to listen, not to listen to talk, but to listen to learn. And we've all heard that if if you've gone through leadership classes, but it's so important because I want to know and listen to the people who work for me to learn about their lives, to learn about their families, to learn about the knowledge they have about their job, because I don't have all the answers. And as a good leader, I think you you admit, I don't have all the answers. That's why we surround ourselves with great people that can help us be better and help them be better. And we'll work together to do that. So my something extra is listen to learn. Mm, that is so good. Love it. Well, what are you most excited about right now, Ken? When I started this journey on The Gooder Life, I thought it was going to be extremely easy. It took two years to get down a book that's about 100 pages, and, and that was hard. 
It was a good hard, though, because it made me learn a lot of things along the journey. So I started off thinking, I'm going to put this book out there and I'll speak to people. And I, and I have. I, I, as you mentioned, I was in Atlanta. I've been to the University of Auburn. I've been to the University of Clemson. My passion, though, is speaking. Because as the title says in layman's terms, it's hard for me to write what I would say. It's easier for me to say it, and it's going to come out in my voice and the way I want that to come out. It's interesting, though, that even just over the last couple of months, my shift, I I have shifted my focus a little bit. And Lisa, you probably have seen this, too. I am concerned about the people, the young people coming out of high school and college who don't know what real leadership looks like. We have a lot of what I call counterfeit leaders in leadership positions right now. They they're leaders because they sit in the chair of a leader. And so the people follow them because that chair is being filled by a person who maybe is a bit counterfeit. And what I mean by that is they don't value the relationships of people. They don't value the fact of surrounding yourself at the back with the best people. They simply want results and they give orders to get the results. And that's all they're concerned about. I really feel that I'm being called to go talk to the kids in high school, to the kids in college and share with them real life examples of what I've gone through and what I've learned as a leader. So many times they have people stand in front of them and talk from a bulleted PowerPoint presentation. Number one is this, number two is this, number three is this, and they're bored. And every time I've gone and spoke with people, one of the big comments that I get after it's over is, that was real, it was authentic. It's not because I'm going and giving them a prescribed way to be a leader. I'm going to tell them the stories I tell. I'm going to tell them the lessons I've learned, good and bad. And I'm going to tell them just the basic principles of being a great leader. One of the greatest compliments I have as a leader is when somebody who works for me comes to me and says, can I talk to you just a second? And they shut the door. And they share something with me about their lives. Something's going on in their family. A tragedy's happened. The reason it's a compliment to me is because they trust me enough as their leader to come and share that with me. That means we've built a trust relationship. And I'm proud of that. That's one of the best things I have. So, yeah, I think I think just we've got to start training our leaders of tomorrow to be the good leaders and not the counterfeit leaders. I love that. Well, I am hoping, Kendall, when people hear this podcast, that they will reach out to you and know that there's opportunity. And you are so right. I feel the same way. I believe that our young people need to see real, authentic leaders because they have seen some things that that are not that. And it's it's just critical. It is so critical. And so I love that that's your passion and that you are willing to give the good stuff away or the gooder stuff away, we should say. (laughs) Well, Kendall, this has been so much fun. I literally think that we could probably talk for hours, but we won't do that to our listeners right now. But I do appreciate so much you making the time to be on the show today. It was a lot of fun for me. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we just met today for the first time and, and I agree with you. I think we could talk forever. We have a lot of the same common beliefs, but I've very much enjoyed my time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. 
For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.